You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our Lord, during this difficult times, um, in spite of it all, you've helped to use this time to help give us perspective about what's important, about what's not, about how we spend our time, about how we spend our lives. And so, Lord, help us by your spirit and word to discern your call on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Many had been going out into the Judean wilderness there at the River Jordan where John the Baptist was baptizing. He was the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the path for our God. He declared that he, that is Jesus, must increase, but I, John the Baptist, must decrease. He says... That, there, that he baptizes with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Here was a man so taken up by God and the things of God that it changed his entire person. His relationship to God determined everything what he ate, locusts and wild honey, what he wore, a coat made from the skin of a camel, how he spent his life out in the Judean wilderness where there was nothing, right where the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea. And it determined how he lived out his relationships to his disciples, to those who were curious, to those who were in authority, whether that be spiritual, like those who went out to him this morning. Why do you baptize? Whose name are you baptizing in? Do you have the authority to baptize? To even to the very heights of power, to King Herod himself. His relationship with God determined everything. John the Baptist was, as John the Apostle tells us this morning, a man from God. Though John the Baptist was extraordinary in so many ways, the last of the great Old Testament prophets, the greatest man to be born next to Jesus, his life is a witness to you and to me on what would happen to us if God were to get a hold of our lives, if God were to reach down in his mercy and actually touch you in such a way that your life would be wholly given over to him. Now there's tension in this because on the one hand we see in John's ministry that God's hand was on John even from the beginning. Remember when Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth and when Mary said to Elizabeth, I'm pregnant with child, who was it that leapt in Elizabeth's womb? John the Baptist, the first witness to Jesus Christ, even in the womb. And throughout his life and ministry, God's hand was on him. And even for us, yes, there are those people that God raises up who we could even say are remarkable, if not exceptional. 
But do we also understand that the spirit that drove John to preach repentance in the wilderness beyond the Jordan is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and the same spirit that lives within you right now. Not a different spirit, but the very same spirit of God. And so you've been touched, you've been anointed in such a remarkable way that the great miracle of conversion has happened, that you've been called into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, But because God's Spirit has worked in your heart and opened the eyes of your heart to see your need for repentance, your need for relationship, your need for salvation in Jesus Christ, you respond. And so it's not simply an issue of God reaching down. There seems to be a tension because there's also the sense in which our willingness to respond plays a significant role in that. Yes, Lord, here am I, Lord. Send me, Lord. And that was John the Baptist. But I don't think that that call to go, that call to proclaim, that call to live a life captivated by God is any different for you and me than it was for John. And two of the hallmarks that we see demonstrated in John's life that evidence this is his humility and his inability. John knows what it means to be humbled. And it's not because of the externals, but because John understands who God is and his relationship to God. Do we? Do we actually have any concept of who God is? Who was God to you? For some, he might be your BFF, your best friend, there with you through thick and thin. He may be a spiritual Tylenol for you that when times get hard, you call upon him. The, you know, the, the thing about, you know, as long as there are exams, there will be prayer in school type of belief. He's there when you need him. But so often we find that what one of the neighbors said is true, that in the beginning God made man in his own image. And since then we've been trying to recreate the favor. We often have a Jesus of our own making. And we might even have orthodox views of God and even some of the things that I mentioned earlier are true of God, are true of who Jesus is. He's the friend of sinners. He's the one there standing to to meet meet you at your place of need. He's the one that leaves the 99 in order to go off to the one who was lost. But he's more than that. And so many of us will have even a biblical understanding and acknowledge, well, God, you are who you say you are. But what we do is we draw an imaginary line in the sand and say to him, you can go no further. God, I'm I'm willing to let you be God of my life and understand who you are as long as you'll tow this line. Because I'm not willing for you to enter into my romantic relationships. I'm not going to let you determine how my marriage works. I'm not going to allow you to have dominion and rule over how I parent my children. 
I'm not going to allow you to influence the way that I do business or the way that I manage my money. And I think by and large, we have this line in the sand because we're afraid of what will happen if God actually gets a hold of our lives. Because we know him well enough to know that if he does get a hold of us, things will change. And let's face it, who wants to have a life that looks like John the Baptist? He's not exactly getting invited to the best of Christmas parties. He's not the guy that you want to come over to the house. But what John does understand is who God is in his holiness. In Matthew's gospel, he explains John's ministry this way, chapter 3. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John doesn't soft-pedal things. He doesn't sugarcoat who God is in his holiness of God's intolerance and inability to abide with sin and and not just the mistakes we make. He's not some glorified Santa Claus who knows who's naughty or nice and is keeping a list and checking it twice, but the living God, the God of the universe who can't even have sin in his presence. But praise God, John's message doesn't end there because that would leave us in despair and undone because who can approach a God like that? Nobody wants to approach a God whose winnowing fork is in his hand and he's throwing things into unquenchable fire. But John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what makes the message of the gospel of God's saving grace in Jesus Christ so amazing that this God who is holy, holier than we could ever imagine or quantify in his righteousness, condescends to empty himself of all but love and dwell amongst us. And to come not as a conquering king in the first instance, but to come into the world and be born in a barn. And his first crib, a feeding trough. What kind of love is this? What kind of God is this? It's the only God who can take away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. By his cross and by his resurrection. And so John knows his own humility because he knows who God is in his holiness and in his mercy and compassion. He's been humbled He knows he brings nothing to the table because he also knows of his inability 
to do anything to secure God's favor or even the favor of the world. John wants no credit for his ministry. And this is a remarkable thing for preachers. The religious authorities go out into the wilderness. Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you the Messiah? How is it? He's being barraged with questions. And he's not actually being completely honest and upfront, but he just wants them to see Jesus. Don't look at me. And he's the biggest name in religion in in, in all of Israel in his day. Everybody's coming out by droves. He has all these disciples around him, but he knows that when Jesus comes on the scene, that they're all meant to leave and follow Jesus. And John's ministry ends up where? A few disciples who are caring for him while he's in prison, awaiting his death. And that's exactly the way that John would want it to be because John himself can't save anyone. Only Jesus can do that. But he also knew that not only could he not justify himself spiritually, that he couldn't have a right standing that would gain him acceptance from God apart from Jesus Christ, he knew that he couldn't justify himself in the world in which he lived. He no longer cared what others thought. It wasn't a ploy, but that's why he could wear such ratty clothes, why he could eat such strange things, why he could say such strong words, because he was totally consumed with getting people to Jesus. He didn't care about being liked, although it's clear he was a godly and likable man at some level. But he didn't care what the world thought. He only wanted people to see Jesus and to follow after him. Do you know God as he is in his holiness? but in his grace and in his mercy. Are you humbled by that, that this creator of the universe would send his son into the world to die for you? It's amazing. And do you know yourself to be to the point of confessing your own inability, your own inability to justify yourself before God, but also to justify yourself before this world's demands. Do you realize, no matter what I do, this world will never justify me. It will only break my heart. But there is one who has justified me, and his name is Jesus Christ, and because of him I've been made a child of God. And no one, not even this world, can take that away from me. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. John the Baptist understood that. But I wonder if we don't use one of John's messages for our prayer for the rest of our lives. John says, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming who will baptize you with fire. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And I wonder this morning, as we listen to the message in the life of John and ministry of John the Baptist, that there aren't some of us sitting here thinking, I want to live a life that's consecrated like that. 
where I don't worry about what the world thinks, but I, matter, I worry about what God thinks. And live life in confidence, knowing that I'm a child of God. And I know that I've been baptized with water, but God, I long to be baptized with fire. Set on fire for you, so that the world might even come and see me burn. And like John the Baptist, point others to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, pour your Spirit out upon us so that we might live lives that are not only of your calling, but, Lord, also that help us to live in this world and to point others toward your Son, Jesus. Lord, help us to give up, to be humbled, to acknowledge our own inability to justify ourselves, that we might find our all in Jesus Christ. For, Lord, we must decrease, but you must increase. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.